0: Hello, and welcome to Skynet Today's Last Week in AI podcast, where you can hear AI researchers chat about what's going on with AI. As usual, in this episode, we'll provide summaries and discussion of last week's most interesting AI news. You can also check out our Last Week in AI newsletter at lastweekend.ai for articles we did not cover in this episode. I am one of your hosts, Dr. Sharon Joe,
1: And I'm your other host, Andre Karenkoff. This week, we'll be talking about how Instagram is testing AI to verify your age, and how some shops are using facial recognition to crack down on theft. We'll look at some research on training agents for Minecraft and using AI to detect autism. We'll talk about uh, how Microsoft is eliminating face analysis tools, and Pentagon has released some new plans about AI ethics, and we'll talk about some fun uh, tech around using uh, Wardle with Dali.
0: All right. First up in our applications and business section is Instagram is testing an AI tool that verifies your age by scanning your face. Um, so Instagram, uh, if you don't know already, um, you have to be at least 13 years old to sign up for the, an account. Um, But actually, until recently, uh, Instagram didn't actually uh, try to verify anyone's age. They just said that that was the age uh, you need to be. Uh, Now they are including an AI tool that's built by Yoti, which is a third party company to verify or estimate how old uh, you are by just scanning your face. Um, And. Actually, even until 2019, Instagram never even asked new users about their birth date. Um, So there was very, very little verification. Um, But as you probably have seen and we've covered, Instagram has... Um, been uh, you know under um, a lot of scrutiny because of um, privacy but also child safety in general and so now they're trying to verify um, their users uh, age a little bit more carefully um, and it was fun playing actually you you can actually play with the demo online and Andre and I did right
1: <laughs> yeah yeah we pulled it up uh, this uh thing and uh, at least for me Eventually, it was pretty accurate It guessed that I'm in the 28 to 32 range and I'm 29. So that was accurate, although I believe it didn't quite get the range right for you, Sharon, right?
0: Yes, it said I was younger, so I felt
1: flattered. But yeah, this, this is interesting. Um, the article does say that right now, Instagram asks users to verify their age only when teenagers try to edit their birthday to show them as 18 or older. And they could all, already send in pictures of various ID cards but now uh, users in the US can also ask for social vouching, which is asking mutual followers to uh, mutual followers that are over 18 to uh, confirm or this AI estimation method. And apparently Yoti is a pretty uh, well-known company in this space. Uh, it's been approved for use by the UK government and German digital uh, regulators, And we do have some data as to how accurate it is. It it doesn't perform perfectly as you might expect. It's not quite as good for certain skin tones, but when you look at uh, age ranges of a few years, it does seem that it is very reliable uh, at guessing whether someone is uh, 18 or over or under 25, for instance. So and that was from a third party nonprofit analysis. So, uh, yeah, it seems like overall, this seems like a well chosen third party tool.
0: And the data does say that, I guess, unsurprisingly, it is less accurate for female faces and people with darker skin. Um, So that is something to note, as usual, for AI uh, these days. and uh I mean Instagram also uses another AI power tool to um, basically scan when users post about their birthdays and if a user you know claims to be let's say twenty years old but says you know are, they're celebrating their seventeenth birthday, then their account will be flagged as well so there there are a myriad ways for Instagram to be uh, verifying and checking and enforcing this
1: rule exactly yeah and um... It's it's a kind of I'm not I don't fully understand this setup of like uh, teenagers uh, trying to edit edit their birthday. I guess if you set your birthday to something and then change it, you then uh, need to verify that for your account. Uh, which uh, I'm not sure why that would even be a thing, but I guess people do it for whatever reason. So.
0: All right, I can um, speak
1: to this. I've done this before. <laughs> um,
0: yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, you you know you put in an age to make sure no one like blocks you from using certain site, and then you're like, oh, I actually want my real age on there, and then you.
1: Oh, it. I see. Then you change it later. Uh-huh. So as a as a teenager, you would do something that's you know. Uh, Incorrect, but then change it once you turn 18 or whatever, once it doesn't matter.
0: Right. And sometimes you just don't know like what the age threshold is or you didn't bother to look for it. So you're like, let me just make sure I'm, I don't know, of a certain age.
1: I do feel like a ID solution or just uh, scanning a photo makes the most sense. Uh, but I guess this lowers the barrier or friction. To mm-hmm. you, right?
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: And on to our second article, we have... Bunnings, Kmart, and the good guys using facial recognition technology to crack down on theft. Uh, So these three uh, store chains uh, apparently have been using facial recognition uh, from their CCTV footage to help, uh, you know, avoid theft, according to this uh, nonprofit choice. So it's a consumer group, uh, and it said that. 25 uh, or it, it surveyed 25 of Australia's largest retailers and these three were using facial recognition technology. And the others were not. And so um, yeah, it's it's kind of interesting. Each one of these retailers does actually state that in their privacy policy, and it even has uh, warnings up front in the store that say that um, you know there is a camera being used and it has a warning like the store has 24-hour CCTV coverage which includes facial recognition technology um, so yes uh, it, it is at least very much uh, stated and it um, follows privacy regulations but still this and other groups are let's say concerned about the ethics of this
0: I think it's actually great that they put a sign up um, before entry just to, you know, make sure people actually know because terms of service or, you know, people don't often read those things. Uh, so they have that upfront. Um, obviously, this still concerns a lot of people, um, you know, where theft is involved. Uh, you know, cameras are already often in place for these things. Um, but I guess as a counterpoint, uh, the convenience store giant 7-Eleven actually last year, disabled a feature uh, in more than 700 of their tablets, which the OAIC, the Office of Australian Information Commissioner, um, found, you know, there were facial images of millions of customers uh, who didn't give consent. So consent is really important. And in this case, you know, it is part of that process. Um, I think it's a delicate balance. The The article does note that uh, the Human Rights Law Center is, is pretty concerned about uh, the you know, whether this is okay to just uh, use facial recognition and it feels like a giant step. Um, I I think to counterbalance that point, it also is, you know, like a lot of these stores see a lot of theft. Uh, So um, they're just putting in place like the next the next piece of that. Um, So we'll we'll see how this plays out. This is in Australia.
1: Yes. Yeah. The Office of the Australian Information Commissioner Uh, is actually being asked to review whether it uh, is in accordance for the Privacy Act. So I guess uh, it's really the store people who said it was, but maybe it's not. And yeah, I think this this is a very logical application of facial recognition. But um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if this basically holds up. I can see this easily being the case in a lot of U.S. stores and really everywhere soon enough.
0: I could see. So I think during the pandemic, there were a lot of there's a lot of theft, especially in San Francisco. And I, I could see stores and stores already did move away from the city. Uh, I could see stores choosing places where they're allowed to have certain types of technologies as well, uh, which is interesting to, to think about as well.
1: Yeah, I do think there's been some statistics of uh, um petty theft, uh, shoplifting being on a rise. So that is another reason for this, for sure. Yeah.
0: And on to our lightning round, we have a lightning round again. Uh, The first article is Cruises Driverless Autonomous Cars Start Giving Rides to Paying Passengers. Uh, so the RoboTaxi perhaps is here. Uh, Cruise officially became the first company to offer uh, paid, you know, fared rides uh, to the general public in a major city as of uh, Wednesday, and specifically that's San Francisco. Um, and initially, uh, you know, Cruise's driverless autonomous offering will operate only between 10 p.m. and 6 a.m. and only on designated streets in the city. Um <laughs> you know, definitely a very crowded time in city. No, I'm kidding. Um, but an important time because there are often drunk people and the like who are looking for rides and maybe not, um, not as much supply, uh, at those times. Um, and then there are also, you know, very big limits on, on where they can actually operate. Um, so very, very interesting. Um, you know, this actually new operating window extends their total active time by one and a half hours as compared to um, the free driverless test pilot that was offered previously last year. Um, and so very similar um, to what they were offering for free. Um, would you try this, Andre?
1: <laughs> I totally what? would. This is very really exciting. And it's extra exciting that it's being done at night when the chances of a crash are incredibly low due to just there not being cars around. So yeah, still a slow rollout, but I'm super happy that finally we are seeing... Uh, autonomous taxis you know slowly but surely coming to be usable
0: that's right and only designated streets so arguably not sure like what means the ones autonomous yeah. Means here yeah <laughs> yeah and our next article is copilot github's ai-powered programming assistant is now generally available so previously, Copilot was just a technical preview, um, but uh, they have now signaled that the tool would reach you know, general availability. And so now they uh, did announce it's available to all developers. Um, it'll be free for students as well as, quote, verified open source contributors, um, starting with roughly 60,000 developers selected from that community uh, and students in the GitHub education program. Uh, there's a 60 day free trial, then it's 10 dollars a month or a hundred dollars a year per user. Would you pay for this, Andre?
1: I don't know. Uh, right now, no, I haven't I don't code that much, but if I were to be a software engineer, I would definitely consider it I think. What, what about you, Sharon?
0: I don't think I would. <laughs> i think I think it was fun to use it, uh, especially when my keyboard was kind of janky. Uh, the butterfly keys for mac and so uh, but now yeah i don't i don't i don't think i would pay for it
1: we'll see yeah i think for for like people who spend many hours a day coding this could definitely make sense and on to our other stories irs expands ai powered bots to set up payment plans with taxpayers over the phone so the us's internal revenue service is handling more of its call volume through automation, which uh, helps the call center employees uh, have more time to address more complex queries. So you have to wait less to talk to a human, hopefully.
0: This is much less controversial than they're using facial recognition. So good job. Yeah, good job. This is
1: everyone loves the idea of waiting less for uh, being helped out uh, for service. And next up, you have General Motors is using AI to speed up the vehicle inspection, inspection process. So uh, GM has invested in the Israeli startup UVI, which makes vehicle diagnostic systems that use sensors and AI to quickly identify damaged parts or maintenance issues. So GM will now sell the technology to its dealer network. And also work with UVI on other vehicle inspection technologies, hopefully making it cheaper and faster to do vehicle inspection for, you know, I guess GM uh, car owners. Yeah,
0: for their cars. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah.
1: And for their car owners. Yeah.
0: And on to our research and advancement section. Uh, the first article is learning to play Minecraft with video pre-training, VPT, and this is a blog from OpenAI about their paper uh, that was recently released. Uh, so they trained actually a neural network to play Minecraft. And uh, what they did is they had a small amount of labeled contractor data, so they had contractors play uh, actually 2,000 hours of video, and they would record the keyboard and mouse actions that they were doing, as well as uh, the the video frame. and. Uh, and they actually used an in, you know, intermediate model trained on, on that contractor data to predict the actions that the contractor would take to predict the keyboard, you know, mouse movements they would do, and then they use that model to then uh, give soft labels essentially to uh, unlabeled videos of Minecraft, and that was seventy thousand hours of just video out there on Minecraft, uh, so. Uh, it was that kind of two-stage approach um, and using just the vast quantity of unlabeled data out there and just labeling it a little bit using um, a supervised model um, so um, very cool work that now the AI model here is able to um, do uh, what's seen as decently complex tasks uh, in minecraft which includes you know crafting a table and you have to you know grab you know make go from the wooden log to a wooden plank to crafting a table. Um, and you know, these are actions, uh, that action specifically, um, I think, uh, would take approximately 50 seconds or a thousand consecutive game actions, um, for a person who is very proficient in Minecraft. Um, so it's cool to see that, you know, the <laughs> progress is being made in reinforcement learning. And you can imagine, you know, from Minecraft, what other spaces are there, you know, actions that are similar to this? I, I think there are a lot of actually simulation type things where we can be very general. Now we can actually train these agents to be very, very general and do all of these, you know, uh, actions that before was much more constrained as a state space. So. Um, yeah, very exciting stuff.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. It's, it's really cool. And for me, what was most exciting is that, uh, you know, there's been work on Minecraft before and some some achievements uh, like uh, crafting with diamond axe. But here, uh, the training is done over the native human interface of the keyboard and mouse. So there's no simplification for the AI. It's it's having to do exactly what a human would do, looking at the image, deciding on the key press, and the mouse rolling, which then means that this broad technique can be applied to maybe just about you know anything, <laughs> I would imagine, like Photoshop editing or creating a PowerPoint, any software tool you're using. In theory, you could... Um, uh, trained to do with this technique now of course the key result here is when you have a ton of data which you can get from Minecraft because there's a lot of YouTube videos of people playing Minecraft just themselves streaming you know you can then learn this uh, representation and uh, do really well so in some sense that's also a bit of a um, limitation that this doesn't help us with efficiency in any way it helps us more so with uh, showing that if you have a ton of data you can do really well uh, but still yeah i think this was a really cool result and it's really fun to see uh, the trained agent doing stuff uh, so i think it's it's great to see open returning to doing some more reinforcement learning work having really not done that for uh, a bit of a yeah for a while i think this is pretty exciting
0: yeah definitely and they actually um are open sourcing the data and the model weights and the code and uh so that's very very exciting uh stuff and they will have um a uh, they're partnering with the mine rl neurips competition this year and so uh, you know, you can you can enter that competition and work with that data and um, build even more difficult tasks in Minecraft.
1: Yeah, and actually, a fun note uh, in the same week, this was last week, another paper called Mind Dojo, building open oh, another paper called Mind Dojo, building open ended embodied agents with internet scale knowledge. Came out. So NVIDIA, uh, primarily behind this, released this Mind Dojo, which is a framework built on Minecraft that features a simulation suite with thousands of diverse open ended tasks. And again, they mined internet scale knowledge of Minecraft videos and tutorials and wiki pages. But instead of training an agent, um, the focus here is on. Creating thousands of possible um, tasks for the agent to do, so not just crafting a diamond pickaxe, but also, um, you know, exploring an ocean monument, scooping buckets of lava, fighting against an Ender Dragon, stuff like this. So it's it's kind of funny these two go together so well, and they just happen to release uh, almost at the same time.
0: Yeah, these will complement perfectly. <laughs> um, I can imagine using the simulation environment to help with uh, the other one and, and uh, vice versa. So, um,
1: yeah. Indeed. Yeah. And on to our uh, second article, we have AI attacks autism speech patterns across different languages. So this is about the paper across linguistic patterns of Peach Prosodic Differences in Autism, a machine learning study. This was uh, led by researchers at the Northwestern University in collaboration with researchers in Hong Kong. And the focus is to see if you can identify uh, certain features of speech. So um, they focus on rhythm or intonation as a main sort of identifiers uh that kind of are the same for speakers for children that speak either english or cantonese to be able to uh verify whether they are autistic or not and using a fairly straightforward machine learning approach they actually did verify that rhythm in particular and and these features related to rhythm are uh common and, and do correlate for both English and Cantonese very strongly, which is a pretty great result for understanding autism and for being able to diagnose it. And, um, yeah, uh, for kind of building our understanding and helping to treat it better.
0: Yeah. It's very interesting that,
1: you know, one of the most
0: prominent uh, of these features is rhythm and just to extract that as a. L- Linguistically agnostic feature is so interesting because um, and now and and one of the uh, professors of this paper mentioned now that, you know this is, this means autism you know is strongly influenced by some kind of genetic you know genetic um, aspect and genetic quote liability to autism and so um, I I think that's super super interesting because. Uh, you know it's not it, it's, it is it is genetic and we have believed it to be genetic uh, but now this is kind of verified um through this multilingual study
1: yeah that's that's the other thing is um being able to differentiate to some extent to environment versus the um genetic uh, raise and something that's interesting here is um for these features the uh, speech rhythm Uh, kind of uh, here was done with some basically pre-built audio processing. So they had some pretty fancy logic uh, that basically created different measures of rhythm uh, from utterances. And then they used a very small machine learning model called an SVM to um, train a classifier to predict whether the speaker was... uh, autistic on autistic spectrum, or where they were on a spectrum. So interesting that um, I guess this was such a cool result, but didn't actually make use of a neural nets per se, or, or giant neural net. And I do wonder if our more advanced techniques uh, could then help even more and in, in kind of follow up research.
0: I think so. And this is really a start because I, I'm sure was a huge pain in getting the data for this. So now that they have the data, they can now apply more advanced techniques.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. uh, This data here actually involved having uh, young people uh, reading uh, or telling their own version of a story uh, depicted in the picture book, Frog, Where Are You? So as you say, uh probably not too easy to to get a bunch of kids and young adults to record audio especially if they're autistic
0: and on to our lightning round uh first article is meta releases largest open source ai language model to date um so meta is actually now releasing opt 66 billion um, which is language model with 66 billion parameters. And this is following their other open source models, which are much, much smaller, several orders of magnitude smaller at 125 million. Um, and well, one was 30 billion. So not actually that much smaller. Um, they do have a non open sourced one where you have to request it for 175 billion parameters. Uh, but this is now the largest, uh, Uh, open source AI language model that you can access without any restrictions, just from the GitHub page. And the next article is Google's party generator relies on 20 billion inputs to create photorealistic images. Uh, So uh, Google just unveiled uh, its party, party spelled with an I at the end, not a Y. And it's a text to image computer model, which um, makes hyper realistic images by looking at billions of inputs. Um, it's not releasing either party or imagine, which was a you know, previous model that they did release doing this to the public uh, because um, they believe the AI data sets carry a risk for bias. Um, because the data sets are created by people, um, they definitely have some type of stereotype or misrepresent certain groups. Um, specifically towards Western stereotypes and that's a bias towards that. So that's why Google doesn't want to release them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. This was kind of fun news because I think Imogen just came out like two weeks ago and was like, oh, wow, compared to Del 2 And then this came out super quickly after that. And is also on that sort of level of Del 2 and imagine and uses a, a slightly different technique. Uh, that isn't the same as those other two, so uh, it's yeah, a different man,
0: different group within Google, I believe. It's uh, definitely not competitive within Google. Hopefully, we'll see. Um, but you know, there are many different techniques to get to the same thing.
1: And our other story is here: first, uh, new hybrid machine learning forecasts lake ecosystem responses to climate change. So several researchers. I have spent five years searching for a better way to forecast and manage Lake Geneva's ecological expense to a friend of phosphorus pollution, which uh, now also uh, climate change needs to be taken account to. And so uh, they have now developed a new uh, machine learning way to do that. And our last story is Cerebra's systems sets record for largest AI models ever trained on a single device. So Cerebrus Systems is a company that sells pretty much uh, custom hardware for training AI models that are very different from um, kind of GPUs that people typically use. Basically, they're massive, massive chips. And they showed that uh, it's possible to train a 20 billion parameter model on a single uh, system, basically on a single device, which is not at all possible with uh, GPUs. You would need a collection of GPUs and do distributed training and so on. So um, yeah, quite an impressive result.
0: And this is really impressive. Uh, And they're trying to, quote, democratize access to these very large language models um, and be able to train, you know, one of these models and set them up in minutes. Train them on a single uh, one of these CS2 uh, systems, uh, and their WSE2 uh, is a one of the largest, you know, the largest processor ever built. It's fifty-six times larger than uh, the largest GPU right now. Uh, so this is, you know, very very impressive. And I, I think actually a lot of systems people didn't think this was possible. So it's um, Huge kudos to them for making this work. I, I did recently meet Andrew Feldman, uh, who's the CEO, founder of Cerebrus, and he's he's very impressive. He just defies uh, <laughs> what, you know, people say something's impossible. He's like, no, I can I can do
1: this. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Yeah. a very, very, very interesting approach. And they have been at it for many years and are valued now at billions of dollars, I'm pretty sure. So definitely very exciting to see their progress.
0: And onto our society and ethics section. Uh, the first article is Pentagon unveils plan to make responsible military AI more than just a buzzword. Uh, so this week, the DOD, Department of Defense, released a 47-page document that outlines the military's plan to implement responsible AI principles um, and basically you know, prevent the world from ha- turning into Terminator. <laughs> uh, is what the article actually says um so it outlined uh the dod actually did outline ethical goals uh, ai goals in 2020 and uh this week uh, has you know this document has much greater detail um and uh basically uh, talks about it beyond just wishful thinking um and it's much more concrete they list proposed actions to promote that responsible ai uh, across the department based on six foundational tenets. The first is responsible AI governance. Second is warfighter trust. The third is AI product and acquisition lifecycle. Fourth is requirements validation. Uh, the fifth is responsible AI ecosystem. And the last one is AI workforce. Um, so they basically want to modernize governance structures and processes that allows for the department to responsibly use AI, which right now, you know, it, it definitely is not um, up to uh, up to that modernization. Um, so yeah, it's very exciting that the DoD has spent this time really thinking through this, uh, and I think it's I think it's very important that they do.
1: Yeah, yeah, and this forty seven page document is uh, available for anyone to peruse. Uh, it's called the Responsible Pathway to AI Development and Exploration.
0: And so the goal of this, you know, because they released it, is to earn the trust of the general public as well as of the service members and all the people who will be part of uh, in using the AI technology or affected by the AI technology. And also specifically, uh, the DOD did stress that they will maintain humans in the loop where a human operator will still have final control of deciding when an AI system makes a decision and carries out an objective, Uh, because there have been a lot of, you know, rumblings around uh, autonomous weapon systems and, uh, you know, killer robots um, that are completely autonomous. But here they're saying, no, we want human in the loop. We want to make sure people have uh, the final say and final role in deciding Uh, what happens
1: yeah exactly so uh, yeah this is a pretty good uh, document to look through again it's available to anyone Uh, i looked through it a bit and it does have a lot more details uh, which i guess should you know at least to some extent i think does merit what they're claiming, which is they're trying to pursue uh, research and development of AI for military purposes ethically. Uh, So I guess that might make you feel a little better that they're not trying to achieve a Terminator or some kind of like really really uh, problematic use of AI. I think being being told that it's really the focus on the human in the loop approach It does make me feel a little more comfortable, uh, even though I think, you know, regardless, inevitably, the DoD will incorporate AI in in all sorts of ways for uh, warfare and, and, you know, that sort of thing.
0: You know, the main thing that does concern me about the document is the fact that it looks like it was scanned in. (laughs)
1: yeah this is uh like kind of funny it. Yeah.
0: So, like talk about okay modernizing would mean you don't need to print this out before you scan it in you you just you can just you can just upload the pdf um but you know baby steps so
1: yeah the resolution of these images is kind of low i don't know what this <laughs> looks like a lower rush JPEG. Uh, anyway, yeah, so we'll, we'll have a link there if you want to take a look. Yeah,
0: perhaps it was to get a wet signature from Kathleen Hicks, who's the Deputy Secretary of Defense. So.
1: In our next article, Microsoft plans to eliminate face analysis tool and push for responsible AI. Some more ethics. So it said last week that uh, some of his features... Uh, face analysis primarily, are being removed from its AI uh, services. So they will stop being available to new users this week and will be phased out completely for existing users within a year. And the reason for this, according to them, is that they had a two-year review and a team at Microsoft that... uh, developed this responsible AI standard, a 27-page uh, document that sets out requirements for AI systems. Um, according to that, they decided to remove uh, some of these services for, I think there was uh, emotion uh, prediction and gender prediction, age, and, uh, age analysis, um, pretty much a lot of things having to do with Um, facial analysis
0: not nearly as long as the dod is 27 pages (laughs) sorry that is not how one should be measuring ethics
1: it's still pretty long 27 pages you know that's a lot of uh details as to requirements for uh systems to be good
0: that's right that's right uh, and you know among the specifics of it users are required to explain and apply you know how they will actually be using potentially abusive AI systems such as the custom neural voice. I, I remember they had this actually before too before this document has come out um, when I've I've tried that before so, uh, Microsoft is is really thinking about this. And, you know, I wonder if similar groups that are chatting with each other at DOD and Microsoft about responsible AI.
1: Yeah, I'm sure, you know, there are at least uh, the people who are really thinking hard about these things are definitely reading the same kinds of things, right? And those cross-pollination of ideas. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think in general, this seems like a pretty good outcome. Uh, So they still do have a tool for face recognition, but uh, can only be used, uh, as you said, with a justification, you have to be screened to use it, basically. And other things like uh, emotion prediction, which we've talked about before, are just kind of not uh, useful enough or not reliable enough to be used by anyone, according to Microsoft.
0: And on to our lightning round. First article is Vitali Klitschko, fake, tricks Berlin mayor in video call. Uh, so the Berlin mayor actually spoke for 15 minutes with someone posing as Vitali Klitschko, who is the Kiev mayor. Um, but, you know, then after after that happened, suspicion did arise that that was a deep fake. Uh, then you know, police were called to investigate, uh, and apparently, it, it most likely was, uh, since uh, uh, the Berlin mayor said they did not speak with Klitschko. So, and our next article is China surveillance state is growing. These documents reveal how. Uh, So the New York Times actually did an analysis of over 100,000 government bidding documents. And they found that uh, China's ambition to collect digital and biological data from citizens is very, very expansive. Um, They claim more expansive than previously known.
1: Which is impressive because it was already known to be very expensive. So, yeah, this is a long article, a lot of details, and it is... Yeah, it's, it's kind of shocking how um, kind of how thorough this effort is. So if you do want to know more of the details, um, it's it's a pretty detailed uh, investigation. On to our next articles, we have earthquake tech could limit deaths, but Afghanistan shows it's not easy. Uh, this is an interview with a researcher or some researchers that work on predicting earthquakes, uh, faster using AI, but it goes into how, um, applying these techniques in, for instance, Afghanistan, which just recently had a major earthquake is not easy if you don't have the infrastructure of, uh, seismic, uh, stations to record data from. So very promising for, uh, dealing with some disasters, but you do need to kind of work to prepare. For that to be in place.
0: Yep, moral of the story, you always need data.
1: (laughs) You always need data, yeah. yeah. And our last piece here is Alexa has a new voice, your dead relatives. So during a presentation at this week's Amazon Tech uh, Summit, there was a little presentation of an Echo Dot, which is their device that has Alexa built in uh, there was a demo of it having a new feature still in development that allows the voice assistant to replicate people's voices from short audio clips. So, if you have, um, you know, let's say a grandma or someone, uh, you know, any any real um, uh, relative, you can uh, give Alexa your clip and then hear this person kind of, I guess, t- telling you various things like, uh, you know, they gave an example of reading a bedtime story. So yeah, I think this generally quite a, quite a big response online. It, it seems fairly weird uh, to me.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, bedtime story is one thing, but then asking you to buy a certain type of Amazon product and persuading you to do so might be another. Um, so something to think about. And onto our fun and neat section, Word Dolly is a guess the prompt game that combines Wordle and Dolly. Uh, so this is a fun little game that you can try online uh, where you get to look at Um, the output of a Dolly uh, prompt. So there are six images and they look, you know, typically weird. And then just like in the game Wordle, if you haven't heard of it, uh, you guess um, how to describe those those pictures, actually, in this case. Uh, And specifically, you're guessing the prompt that was put into Dolly in the first place to generate those images. And I will say that Andre is much better at this game than I am. Um, However, I did succeed at my... My second attempt uh, to get it on the first try, and it was flag pancakes, and there was pancakes with a lot of American flags on it, um, so, but Andre mm. is the real champ here, as a, a wordle
1: fan. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. no, I played it when it came out, and it's, it's pretty fun. Yeah, you should give it a try. The concept itself is very amusing. And the idea is, yeah, you have to guess the prompt and you get this feedback of which letters you got right or wrong. And they have, a, uh, it seems like a pretty good range of images. They have, I don't know, things like uh, uh, Yoda on a yoga mat or a graffiti of noodles, dinosaurs, uh, you know, riding waves. Um, stuff with Darth Vader, ninja mice, etc., etc. So uh, it's fun to just see random Dali images and uh, successfully guess the prompts. And also, I gotta say the the pun over naming here is so good. Like you take Wardle, you take Dali, and you get Wardle Dali. It's just beautiful.
0: Oh my god! I just got another one on the first try. Robot Bananas. Nice. All right.
1: All right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. And for our last uh, fun article, we have the King's Swedish AI Rewrites the Book in Scandinavia. So, this is a, a slightly serious uh, uh, article in that it is about how researchers in Sweden have developed their own large uh, language model called GPT. Dash SW3, And um, it was tasked with drafting the uh, annual Christmas speech for the king of Sweden, and apparently it did a pretty good job. So, um, yeah, there was this fun little demonstration, I guess, to the uh, main uh, people in power, the politicians who may not be so technically informed and um yeah it was actually pretty impressive that for a small country and a core team of just six people they could actually uh, do this
0: that's awesome more countries the better
1: (laughs) yeah and uh you know this will pave the way for a lot of i guess areas in uh, scandinavia to hopefully have these language models uh, which is one of the one of the limits of Our progress right now is mostly there for English.
0: Right. And I will also say, you know, they said, oh, only a few people were needed. I think the biggest part is resources on the compute side. So having that supercomputer uh, is very, very important. Um, For sure, you also need the talent, but the supercomputer is very, very important. Um, Probably potentially harder to get in some ways.
1: Yeah, and and this version is uh, 3.6 billion parameters. So it's uh, still on its way towards the largest uh, models. (laughs) I guess that's why it's uh, GPT-SW3. I don't know. Anyway, neat story, neat story for sure.
0: And with that, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of SkyNet. Today's a last week in AI podcast. You can find the articles we discussed here today and subscribe to our weekly newsletter with similar ones at lastweekend.ai.
1: If you like the show, then please do share it with other people you know who might be into AI. And even uh, give us a review on Apple Podcasts. We always love to hear your feedback. We love the reviews. But uh, Absolutely we do them. love the reviews. Yeah, I, you know, I check every time before we record if there's a new one. I really do. But uh, yeah, even if you don't, even if you don't, uh, please do just keep tuning in uh, for future AI news coverage.
0: Woo!